0: The following is brought to you by the Starfleet Podcast Network, SPN, The Spin. Just to give you a interesting uh, anecdote, anecdote. See, I try not to use big words because I, <laughs> it just, it fumbles. I've got this uh, speaking out loud kind of thing. You know, I talk well in my head like everyone else does, but yeah, you don't want me to read out loud. It's <laughs> It's embarrassing. welcome to beyond trek podcast i am big j i am here with special guest keith DeCandido. now just so you all know i did not spell the first name correctly or pronounce the last name correctly until now we were talking before <laughs> and i practiced i prepped on that so you've got keith first thank you so much for taking out the time To join me and sit down and do this talk was really looking forward to it and the the second one is and i want to i want to hear this i want the audience be able to hear the background on your name which i thought was pretty interesting so for all of us out there that have been pronouncing keith's name incorrectly and don't act like you didn't we've all done it wrong every one of us (laughs) So, Keith, why don't you help us through that? Should we feel bad for not being able to?
1: Nah. Okay, um, I, the only the only way you should feel bad is if I correct you and you continue to mispronounce it. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or, or if, or my favorite is when people have tried to um, correct me right back. Um, the it's an oh, Italian... like you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have had that happen. Uh, well, in Italian, it would be pronounced. Decandido. and it's like well no the reason it's pronounced Decandido is because uh somewhere back in the deep dark past uh members of my family came from a small town in italy called candido and it's pronounced candido and the last name is pronounced DeCandido in italian so yeah um it is possible that there are other DeCandidos floating around out there who do pronounce it decondido, however my family is not among them uh, right so. that's not you Numbers nope. don't count um, and there and probably
0: are. You never know.
1: Yeah, but no, I did have somebody try to uh, uh, Italian explain to me <laughs> 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 uh, that, that, well, that that it's actually well if you pronounce it properly like in Italian it's like well no was that a Karen
0: at a Starbucks or I, no, a dude? So I guess no, it
1: was it was it was some some dude somewhere at a convention. I think. Um, What's the guy equivalent to a Karen? Would that
0: be a I'm Carl sure. or a? I don't know. I, I, don't I, know, too know. Many, I have too yeah. many
1: friends named Karen who are actually nice people, so I've never really liked using that as, oh, a, as a thing. But yeah. uh, um, but need, suffice it to say, it was some schmuck, <laughs> 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 and uh, and leave it at that. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it's fine. I I I I've mispronounced other people's names in the past before. Like I said, as long as you correct it once you uh, are informed of the proper pronunciation, everything's fine. I, I teach, I'm also a martial artist, and I teach karate to kids. Uh, I do an after-school program once a week. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I always make a great effort to do is to make sure I get the kids' names right. Um, yeah. Especially because I've got, my own name has been mangled enough times. So, uh, so same thing, you, when I'm, like when I'm autographing a book for somebody, I wanna make sure I get the, the spelling right. So
0: Well, and that's good to take that extra time and do that because you know what it's like for Pretty much living your uh, entire life, having to correct yeah. people and, and all of that, and it's got to get tiring.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you, you do. I, it I. i Part of this a lot big part of this job involves repeating myself. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, true. whenever I whenever I'm like doing a convention or 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 doing a panel on something or I'm at a table, I. I wind up saying a lot of the same things over and over again because people are asking the same questions or people want to know what is this book about or what is you know uh how do you break into the field or where do you get your ideas or what are the other questions that you get asked over and over again so i'm 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 accustomed to repeating myself
0: well that really has to be tricky i can tell you probably for you there's just the the repetition of telling the same thing over and over again for folks like myself, anyone interviewing you, it's got to be a challenge. I can tell you, it's not easy. I try to think of other things to to talk about or ask, and have been told, "Hey, yeah, that's a, a good question." I try to I try to look for things you haven't heard at every convention that you went to. It's not always the easiest. I I can tell you that, but I'm going to kind of go meta with this. <laughs>
1: okay. I I think this
0: is how I win this one.
1: Okay. Go for it.
0: Tell me that one thing that you talk about so much that you found yourself not even being able to tell the entire story, that it's been shortened, shortened, shortened to where your talk at a convention it feels like I'm not using enough time because I'm giving all these abridged versions of things. I talk about everywhere I go.
1: There aren't too many of them, there is one. Um, the story of how I got my first fiction sale, which is an unnecessarily complicated story. <laughs> um, and uh, I've told it enough times now that I have started to, to whittle it down a little bit just because I'm, you know, that that's, that's a story that I have told a lot because it was my first one. So yeah. I, have, I have been telling that story for 29 years now. <laughs> that's a long time. Yeah, yeah so uh my my first fiction set was a spider-man story in uh in a short in a short story anthology that came out in 1994 and um and it came about due to the most ridiculous circumstances so i i i told that story a lot and yeah i have kind of whittled it down a little bit
0: <laughs> that can be it's i uh i used to do some journalism work and mm-hmm. when i was in college i uh, my major was broadcast journalism Okay. And there was this news story, kind of like a news story that we had to do as part of our class. And I went and I interviewed this person who was going to be the subject matter for the story. Mm-hmm. Interviewed her, had these great responses. Everything is good. We're talking all of that. And uh, come to realize when we went back and watched the tape, the guy holding the camera, it was like blurry the entire time. Oh, And, man. and, and I'm not talking... You you have a, um, you don't have a very high resolution well, because this was the 90s. So it's not like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not like students had access to these, the top of the line cameras. Yeah. So we're not, we're not expecting much better than um, home movie quality <laughs> camcorders then. Right. but we had a hand-me-down like new station camera, right? How he managed to do this. So the whole thing's blurry, right? Oh, I was pissed. I was just mad because we do the checks. It's like you, you stood there and let me go through this entire thing, knowing that you didn't really have a good shot. So I decided we we can't use this. We can't use any of this. Um, So I arranged time to, to talk with this lady again. And I was asking the same questions. Not all the same. It's kind of like when you're, you're telling the same story over and over again, you, you after, after the fact think I should ask this or I could have right. worded this differently. Well, what happened was all the responses that I was getting were like, <sighs> like real shortened, kind of more, more rehearsed, like, okay, th- I've already said this, so this, I'm going to say it now. And I'm just, I'm struggling like, oh my God, I'm, I'm trying to pull more content out and it was very <laughs> difficult and for you if you're going to be on the stage talking and entertaining you may have a half hour you know and you've got your yeah. your block of stories that you always tell that eats up a good 15 20 minutes but then to your horror you look at the clock and you realize I've condensed all of these and I'm 10 minutes in
1: I've never really had that problem. <laughs> it's a good problem not to have. <laughs> I, I, I can I can babble with the best of them, so uh, I, I I usually find ways. Of, I, I I still remember one time I did a I was doing a book signing at uh, Barnes and Noble in New Jersey with um, two two fellow authors, Laura Ann Gilman and uh, Josephus Sherman, and. Um, we, we all three of us had had Buffy the Vampire Slayer books out, and we were doing uh, a signing to promote that. And the manager at the store comes over and he says, We usually like the authors to, to, to give a little talk beforehand. Can you guys talk for an hour? And we just laughed. Um, Hold my beer. We could probably cut it down to an hour. Yes. Cut it down <laughs> to an hour. Um, yeah, the, the problem will be getting us to shut up. So yeah.
0: get the hook. You know, that hook yeah, comes, it comes over from stage right, just yanks yeah. right off. Well, so I'm sure that it was probably tough to stay under that hour. So tell me a little bit more about this karate that you're teaching. I haven't really read a whole lot of that. There's like this pie chart of what information you can see on Keith DeCandido. See, I can do it now. Now I'm I'm proud of myself of the work that you do. And I'd have to say in that pie chart, karate must be... One of those parts that not a lot of people know unless you
1: it's not like it's a secret, but um it's right. it's only it's something I've been doing um for actually as of this week, nineteen years. Um I started in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um I I prior to two thousand four, which was the year I turned thirty five, um I the only thing I exercised was my futility. Um, <laughs> I, I i was not what you would call a uh, physically active person right. uh it was also at that age that the warranty ran out on on my physical form and um gotcha everything was breaking down i was i was i was in pain i, I was overweight <laughs> and it, it was just it was a i was a mess you didn't
0: get any calls about your vehicle's extended warranty i mean your body's I, I, extended apparently
1: warranty. apparently not no um <laughs> or i deleted those emails, but. Um, <laughs> i so my my doctor said hey maybe you should try exercising you know once (laughs) and um uh there was a karate dojo all of five minutes walk from my house uh and and uh proximity to my own shower was a very important criterion in choosing a dojo um (laughs) the closer the better uh, yeah yeah and i i I didn't want to just join a gym cause I knew I would give them all my money and never show up. Um, I, right. I needed something that was scheduled. And also I'd always had an interest in the martial arts, uh, just as a, as a, you know, observer. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so, so I, I, I took it up. Um, that first class, I still remember it clearly cause it was horrible. Um, here I was this, this out of shape, overweight, 35 year old lump. Um, since then, uh, I, I, I've i gotten a little better at it. Uh, I am now a fourth-degree black belt. Uh, I'm one of the senior black belts in our dojo. Uh, nice. The, uh, I teach occasionally. Like I said, I do the after-school program. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I taught our kids fighting class. That lasted up until the apocalypse of 2020. Yeah. Uh, at which point, uh, our dojo went virtual for a few months and then went hybrid for a while. But we didn't do fighting classes again for quite some time uh even when we were back training in the dojo we didn't do we didn't do sparring um god for like a year and a half right um it wasn't until the fall of 2021 that we started doing fighting again and at that point uh they didn't the schedule had changed and uh uh kids fighting was integrated into one of the regular uh classes rather than a separate class so i don't i don't teach that anymore um but i still fill in at the dojo periodically when when Uh, chuseke shian paul who runs our dojo whenever he's on vacation or needs a day off or or just needs help with something then i'm one of the people who helps out um and uh and like i said i do the after school program as well i've been doing that for nine years now um at one Mm -hmm. of the at a local school in here in new york city um it's part of a larger after school program and it's fun i i uh I never imagined myself as athletic before and now i can't imagine myself any other way it's weird um you know i'm 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 in better shape at 54 than i was when i was 34 um that gives me some hope but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well it's because of 19 years of work i mean it's not yeah know, I, I i earned um this uh but I, <laughs> yeah I, that's I, good
0: and the gym is getting my money too
1: there you go um it's i i enjoy the the a lot of aspects of it not just the, the the fact that i am in better physical shape i like the mental discipline i like the um the elegance of the moves um and of the different techniques uh and it's something that's very meditative also it's it's you know if i'm having a rough day going to the dojo and doing a class always helps me center myself and helps me feel better um and uh, and and it's a really there's a really good community in the dojo as well of of wonderful people who I really just enjoy spending time with. So, um, well, uh, i I promise
0: everyone we're going to talk about Star Trek eventually.
1: <laughs> well, I've actually, you know, so I have worked in uh, bits of, of my martial arts training into uh, various Trek novels, certainly in some of the Klingon uh, books I've written. Yeah.
0: Cause uh-huh. there's stuff I want to know about. Uh, so put a, hold on on that just a moment. I want to ask okay. you some very pedestrian questions. Now, I, I they're going to be... I'll, the I'll kind try to of,
1: give you some non-pedestrian answers. Okay.
0: <laughs> they're going to be coming from a person that doesn't take karate, watches it on TV. There's, you know, I, I like Karate Kid, I like Cobra Kai, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I watched this video uh, about a week or so back that was talking about the fighting style that was created for Batman in the... Uh, the dark night trilogy mm-hmm. and i can't describe it you just you have to watch you have to watch those movies and you'd see it's a pretty yeah. unique thing so as an outside outside observer who has seen plenty of fights on youtube TikTok, etc every fight seems to be the same everyone's coming in with these wide haymakers and just diving in now Coordinated fighting looks awesome of course because it's coordinated you're doing the thing is there is there really how do you how do you take that from the dojo and put it out in real life if you were to if you were to find yourself in a confrontation and you knew okay this is going to get physical um. With that person, knowing that everyone fights ugly, uh, we all have it in our heads. T- to me, I know for sure that if I ever got into a fight, it would look like I was Batman with all the moves and everything. But how do you counter someone that's just throwing arms and fists around ugly fighting like you see on
1: pretty much every fight video online? Uh, mostly you try to avoid it. Um, yeah. There's a... there's a uh, Gijin Funakoshi who is pretty much the founder of modern karate he was from Okinawa um and and he uh, in his autobiography he writes about how people used to challenge him to fights all the time mm-hmm. you know and he would always turn it down um any fight between any two people regardless of their skill level is going to be unpredictable because you don't you know it's it's by nature chaotic so you don't know what's going to happen um so you know if I was going to be in a confrontation my first thing would be to try to avoid it um yeah the uh it's it's a last resort not a first one and um it's uh because i mean yes 99 times out of 100 the better fighter is gonna win but there's always that 100th time yeah and uh you don't want to risk it being that i mean when, when i first started sparring i would fight um the person who runs our dojo who has won international fighting tournaments he's a brilliant fighter um and I was, you know, still a color belt. I was still, you know, learning what the heck I was doing. And there was one time where I managed to kick him right in the solar plexus. It was a one in a million shot, um, you know, and I was so one proud One in a million doc,
0: one in yeah, a million.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it was great, but that can happen, you know, yeah. even even with him, you know, this, this incredibly experienced fighter fighting this, you know, doofus yellow belt who's, you know, doesn't know what he's doing yet. He got that lucky um, shot yeah but the, the the that can happen um you know the the if if i am fighting if i i i ha- thankfully have not found myself in a position where i have been in a fight um the the i i i had been in i was in a position once to break up a fight uh which i my training helped me see coming um, okay, okay. This, was, this was between two high school kids uh and i immediately got between them and pushed them apart before it actually came to blows at which point, their friends who were all smarter than them, uh, held them back. Yeah. But um, uh, the uh, but you, you the, the only thing you know if somebody is fighting wild and crazy is just you know keep your hands up and, lo- and wait for your shot. Um, the, the the most common phrase uttered in my kids' fighting class was "keep your hands up." Um, yeah, the, you know, the best thing you can do is just, you know, keep your hands up and protecting yourself because it's much better for your arms to get hit than for your head or your chest, because there's important stuff in your head and your chest.
0: Yeah, um, the arms can take a whole lot, whole hell of a lot more of a beating oh yeah. than yeah. the and, and
1: They heal more readily, too.
0: Yeah. Wow. OK, so even though I think we all imagine that we can take on that black belt, if you're just some doofus walking on the sidewalk, don't do it because... Yeah, you, you, yeah, you're definitely going to get your ass kicked. So awesome. there's that. Like I said, mostly mostly you're going to try to avoid it, but yeah. Now you write novels, short stories, comics. I like the com- I like comics and I I like the comics. I want to talk about that some because I feel like I'm not able to meet someone that often that does writing in the comics. Now, uh We've talked to on our podcast, David Mack and, uh, you know, uh, John Swallow and, uh, you know, some of the some of the other ones. Um, And I think that learning more about the comics and the writing for that as compared to anything else is something that I want to know more about just as a someone who hasn't really thought a whole lot about what it goes into comic book writing.
1: It's, it's much different um, than writing prose. And it's also uh, different from writing uh, a screenplay because you're, you're dealing with visuals, but they are both static and kinetic at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and each, each page and each panel is a distinctive work of art in essence that you're, you're contributing to. Um, personally, whenever I'm writing a comic and I haven't done a huge amount of comics, but I've, I've written a bunch. Um, I've, I've written, uh, in Star Trek, I've done, uh, one miniseries and then a 4 miniseries as well as a couple one shots. And, um, I've written, uh, Starcraft comic, uh, a resident evil comic book. Um, uh, I'm currently working on an adaptation of a horror novel that I, that I co-wrote with, uh, with a colleague. Uh, called animal and i'm working on the graphic uh comic book adaptation of that right now uh but and the big thing was i did a a, a comic based on the tv show farscape um i uh i worked with Rockney O'Bannon, who created the show and we did a comic book that continued uh farscape from after its finale and um when when you're writing the comic you're thinking in essence, you're thinking of each page as a discrete storytelling unit in essence. Um, And you know what it looks like and how the art is going to flow and how the words are going to be. And, and your writing is different because it's, it's mostly dialogue. It's not um, most of what would be narration in a, in a prose work is covered by the artwork for the most part. Um, Plus. um while you can do you know thought balloons although those those have fallen out of favor a lot um you you can't do the kind of serious internal point of view that pros can do um pros, you're, you're you're inside the point of view of a particular person comics can't really do that as well um but uh but it's fun it's and 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 on top of that usually uh, most comic books especially if you're writing like a monthly comic book like it was with farscape um you have a very prescribed number of pages and you, you have to fit into that every issue of farscape that i wrote was 22 pages mm-hmm. um the resident evil comic book that i did was was um five 20 page issues so a, each story had to begin on page one and end on page 20. um and and you have to do it in that in that space which really challenges you. um because you have to make everything fit and everything flow in that precise time frame um, that is one way in which it is like screenwriting because, you know, or especially uh, uh, teleplay writing, because um, TV shows are, a, are generally a particular length. Um, and uh, so you have to you have to write to that particular uh, time frame. Right. Well, there's. Um,
0: if I'm reading a Star Trek book or listening to an audiobook, reading a comic, anything like that. I've we've been in it so long that we can imagine the scenes. We hear the voices. We know the voices, et cetera, et cetera. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, when you're writing something different, like resident evil or far escape, do you, to me, it would almost feel like if I'm going to do any kind of writing, it's going to be what I know inside and out star Trek. If I write, the Farscape or Resident Evil or whatever it may be sure I could probably make it interesting probably captivating but do you find that not knowing those characters like that as you do with Star Trek makes it more difficult to do those comics and short stories or is it easier because you don't have in your head oh I've got to get out this I've got to do this backstory I've I know all these things and somehow I have to fit it all in.
1: Well, that doesn't apply to Farscape because I know Farscape at least as well as I know Star Trek. Oh, so, okay. Um, I was a huge Farscape fan when that was on the air. Um, yeah. And I wrote one of the tie-in novels and I wrote some short stories for it while it was still uh, on the air. It was a good series. I thoroughly yeah, enjoyed it. I, I absolutely adored that series. So I I was as immersed in that in its own way as I have been in Star Trek. Um, having said that, every time I do a project, whether it's Star Trek, whether it's uh, Resident Evil, whether it's Farscape, whether it's my own uh original fiction um like my I, I have a, a series that's uh, six novels now uh and counting uh called um, the dragon precinct series which is a mix of epic fantasy and police procedural Ooh. what I'm doing I mean that that's my, that's a world of my own creation characters yeah. are my own creation but the process when I'm doing a new story in it is still the same as it is when I'm doing... Uh, a work of licensed fiction is I have to immerse myself in the world. I will do in-depth research. If I'm writing, excuse me, if I'm writing a, a Star Trek novel or if I'm a short story, I'm going to sit and watch whatever episodes are relevant to what I'm doing. Um, if, um, you know, like when I did the Farscape comic book, even though I knew Farscape very well, I still sat down and I watched the entire series again. Um, sure I wrote a leverage novel uh, Based on that sh- on that show back. Uh, actually the, the novel wound up coming out Right after the show was cancelled unfortunately <laughs> But, um, but I, even though I watched the show religiously every week I still sat down and I, I rewatched Everything again um, To get the character voices in my head To get the storytelling yeah. style in my head To get the visuals in my head um, You know that, that process Is going to be the same regardless Even if it's something I think I know um, yeah, I, I. You think still, you know until you start writing it down and realize. Oh, exactly. Wait a minute. And and you want to make sure you get it right, and it just it it helps to immerse yourself in it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I I wrote uh, back in 2014, I wrote the Klingon Art of War, and I rewatched every Klingon episode, basically uh, yeah. of, of all all the TV shows up to that point. Um, you know, I, I it, this was before the the latest wave of shows had debuted, but um but I, I rewatched all the Klingon episodes of the original series of next gen of DS nine Voyager enterprise. Um, you yeah, know, the movies that the Klingons were in, um, and just to, just to, you know, look for stuff and look for things that might help, um, make the work better. So, and I also reread a bunch of, of Klingon stuff, both, both my own and other authors. Um, speaking again, of Klingon, I love the picture behind your left shoulder. Worf, and a that, polar bear that is the cover of my first star trek novel um oh, okay uh, diplomatic implausibility which came out in 2001 yes uh, and that is that's the original artwork which i purchased from sonia helios the artist um because that was that was my first trek novel um and it was it was Worf's first mission as a federation ambassador Oh, okay. Following the Deep Space Nine finale. Oh, I, 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 for
0: that I did two weeks that he was an uh, uh, ambassador before he had to somehow
1: end up on the Enterprise again. It was actually four years. But, um, the events of Nemesis.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, the, the,
1: there, was, there was four years between uh, What You Leave Behind and Nemesis, and I actually not only got to write War's first mission, I also got to write his last mission. Yeah. Uh, in the novel, A Time for a Time for Peace, I basically explained how he wound up back. And the thing is, you know, diplomatic posts are not permanent anyway, as a general rule. Right. Um, and uh, and I made it work. Uh, and, I, and I wrote several adventures that he had while serving as a diplomat. Uh, that had to be leader.
0: hard. Like Why, no, not at all. why torture um, yourself with a character that is from a warrior race and write about him being a diplomat?
1: Because if you actually sit down and watch... Worf made would have made a, a great diplomat. He actually did there's a lot of stuff that happened to him both on Next Gen and Deep Space 9 that presaged him being a good diplomat. Um not the least of which being, you know, the 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 influence he had over two, the last, the previous two Klingon chancellors and how they how they came to power. Um yeah. uh what, you know, what he did in Sins of the father what he did in um uh in in the emissary the first episode with Kalar, um the solution he came up with there um there have been there have been several occasions uh you yeah, know what he did in tacking into the wind when he when he challenged gowron uh and mm-hmm. then basically installed martok he's 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 actually got quite a lot of diplomat in him um he is good at coming up with solutions to problems uh, Rightful heir, also when 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 he came up with the notion of him being made em- of Cailus being made emperor. Um, that's, that was smart. That was a yeah, smart move. There's there's lots of stuff in his history that points to him being actually pretty good at being a diplomat. And hmm. who better to represent the Federation to the Klingon Empire than somebody who is basically a citizen of both of them?
0: It's so. a perfect choice, that's for sure. And I'm. Running several episodes in my head, that are that are centric episodes, and I think when you put it together, you can see it as this character has been spread out over seven seasons of Next Gen and uh, three seasons of DS Nine. It's just. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, four, five, six, seven. I'm, I seven I'm was counting it like it was real math and not. Math one, is hard. Uh, yes. yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: and now d- another season of Picard as well.
0: So. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think you're right. Now, this season of Picard, yes, I could certainly see that diplomat side. I guess I didn't really see it as much before because when that was done and what you leave behind, I just thought, Huh?
1: war that makes perfect sense and and on top of that and this is something I, I played up on in 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 the, in the novel this is the cover for um is it's also a position that both the two great loves of his life had that was that was Kalar's position when she died and it was also Curzon Dax's uh, job which mm-hmm. was Jet Z's previous host so in a lot of ways taking that post is is continuing the work done by both of them okay. Uh, that and makes sense. Yeah, I think it was a good pick
0: to do that because you're you're filling in something that at the time you would not have, you could not have seen, and, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people just they couldn't see that, and you showed us. You did all this
1: this literature was really, about that. I was disappointed when he was just back in Starfleet without explanation in Nemesis, mm-hmm. but uh, but we made it work. Um, the the other, the other um, cool thing that, that that enabled me to do was to to write a story that teamed up Worf and Spock, which, jokingly referring to them as the fighting ambassadors. Um, <laughs> and I actually got to have them because Worf and Spock actually have a lot in common, uh, and I and I had them doing a mind meld, which was necessary, basically, to to help Spock out um, because of what was happening in the story. This is in my uh, two book series, The Brave and the Bold, uh-huh. and. Um, I had so much fun with that. Scene. That that was writing writing Spock and Worf, and and then after the mind meld, you've got a, a much calmer Worf and a much crankier Spock, and uh, and, and sort of with you know a little I bit. Love of love it. Uh, and and it was so much fun. I uh, I I I really enjoy. I, I I've only written Spock a few times. Um, that was one of them. Um. Mm-hmm. Brave and the Bold and I also wrote him in uh, in articles of the Federation, uh, and he's just he's 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 a wonderful character to write because there's you know so much to him, um, and and putting him and Worf together was just gold, absolutely. Gold. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it. I'm
0: going to have to check that one out. Now, is there a story, whether it be a comic, a novel, short story, whatever it is. Do you have one out there that if you had one wish, you would completely wipe it away from the existence of time? Like no one ever heard of it. I can't read it. Let's just forget it completely. Which one is that for you?
1: I don't really have one. Um, uh, There's... i mean the, no no I, I i can't think not of any. so much that you
0: hate it let's ma- let me not, make I, it not so dire just one that you kind of like ah, i could never read this one again
1: i can't think of anything okay. I, i'm 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 happy with what i've done i mean there's plenty of them i look at and i think oh my god i, I wish I, I wish i could rewrite it or at least edit it a little more yeah. um there was, in particular, there's uh, one novel that I wrote, uh, one of my, one of the three uh, novels I wrote based on Supernatural. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have taken another pass at it because I wrote that novel while I was going through a very ugly breakup. And it was not my best work. Um, I'm still happy. I mean, nobody who's reading the book is going to know that. And I think they'll be. And, and generally, the response to the book has been fine. Um, but there's there's just when I've, i've read it over since i'm looking at it and thinking i needed to take another pass at this yeah um you know i it just that was that was frustrating um but no i i i'm generally pleased with i i actually you know i i during um in 2020 i started up a youtube channel uh, which which I originally called Crad COVID readings and has, I have since renamed to Crad readings because I'd like to get past that yeah. but <laughs> started something to, to yeah you while know, while we were in lockdown uh you know something to entertain people and to entertain myself and I've been reading all my works of short fiction so uh, I have I have recently reread within the last three years reread every single work of short fiction I've written. Uh, and there was nothing in there that I was particularly embarrassed by or, or annoyed by. Um, and, and all my novels, same thing. I, I, you know, some are better than others. Um, uh, You know, I, I there's there's a couple of tie ins like there's one. I, and I'd rather not say which one it is where I wish. I had done a little bit better with it, but it was hard because of the circumstances under which I wrote it. Okay. Um, uh, there are two like that, actually. Um, but one of them, <laughs> of those two, one of them sold so poorly that nobody read it anyway. So. <laughs> and the other one is sold phenomenally well. So I really can't complain because I, you know, uh, it was, even though I, I wish I had done better with it, I can't, I can't argue with the results. Mm-hmm. So, you know. You have just
0: mentioned, Uh, one of the writings you did that happened during a bad breakup. Yeah. There is a uh, kind of a a script, like a movie script, uh, a friend of mine had this idea of doing and I did the writing on it. Um, I haven't gone back and and reread it. It's, uh, I mean, this thing is well over 15 years ago that we did that. But thinking about it and how I wrote it and uh, the way the subject matter is handled really reminds me of the frame of mind I was in at that time in life. And a lot of that stuff came out in the writing. Uh, So how much of your frame of mind goes into this that you recall when I was writing this, this was what was happening in life or this is where I was at.
1: Um, well, I mean, like I said, yeah. The one I mentioned, the the, the supernatural book, uh, was was not not my best work. Is Um Otherwise, uh, uh, not so much. Where I, I there are certain things that have that have come up because of of things that were happening at the time. I wrote um, the Star Trek novel. I wrote uh, articles of the Federation um i wrote that uh in 2004 um in the and in the when we were deep in the throes of the campaigning for the 2004 presidential election between George W Bush and John Kerry but i finished it before the election actually happened um which was was and and that actually helped me because that that i was i tend I, i'm something of a presidential election junkie okay. and uh and so i'm I, i've always been fascinated by the campaigning process and the go and, and the what goes into campaigning and, and the government and governance and whatnot um and and that was that was perfectly timed for me uh because i was i was you know really ex- excited by you know what was going on uh i was not as happy with the result but uh but still um I was I was in the right frame of mind for that, and I don't think I would have been if if I had been writing it after the election was over or like in the middle of of you know uh, so president.
0: It, but it sounds like the frame of mind that you're in
1: really matters when you're going to write sometimes i I you know i I, I write the story I want to write usually right. um, it uh um yeah, it it, it, it it can't. I mean, it certainly has an impact to some extent, but you're but also, you know, I'm writing the book that I'm supposed to write that that at that, that particular time. It's it's, you know, it's what it's. It, this is my job still, you know, I mean, it, yes, I'm creating art, but it's also what I do for a living. Uh, and, to some, and there's sometimes where I'm not in the right mood, where I'm not. My frame of mind is off for it. And it doesn't matter because the deadline's still going to be there. So you've so, got to do it regardless. Yeah yeah you just got to plow through and put one word in front of the other um and it may not be the best work but that's what revisions are for so. right okay and
0: do you have a I, I guess favorite favorite topic may be the way to go but are there any that you wish if i did have to pick one thing that i'm just going to spend all of my time on i'm going to guess it's between farscape and star trek and I'm trying to guess which one it might be, and I'm going to, I'm going to say Farscape. I think I, I get the feeling that if you had to pick one, that was it for the rest of your career. It'd be
1: Farscape. Ah, uh, no, no. I'm uh, off on that one. Ah, yeah, I would I, I wouldn't. I mean, there are worse fates. Yeah. Um, but I, I would not mind that. But if I mean, I, honestly, if I had to stick with with one particular thing i would rather it was one of my own worlds okay um you know i've got i've got several different original uh series going uh i mentioned uh the precinct series which is the mix of epic fantasy and police procedure um i love writing those books um i've got a cycle of urban fantasy short stories set in key west um uh a bunch of stories another set of urban fantasy stories taking place in in new york um i i'm just i just made it did a deal for a new urban fantasy series that also takes place in New York that's a bit more um it's it's another fantastical police procedural it's it's about a, a unit of the New York police department uh, that deals with crimes involving magic and monsters it's called the supernatural crimes unit Ooh. Oh, hmm. and i'm i'm that that's my next big writing project i'm gonna be i'm starting on that that sounds uh, like fun yeah and um uh we're still finalizing the paperwork on that but um you know, I if, if I I would rather spend the time in one of my own universes just because I mean, if I had to choose a licensed universe, then it probably would be Star Trek just because that's been so much a part of my life literally since birth. <laughs> Haven't we all? Yeah. Uh my, my parents watched Star Trek, uh the original series when it when it aired. Um and and watching it was part of our night our weeknightly routine uh when I was growing up. Uh, I live in New York and it was, it was, uh, the original series was rerun on channel 11. Uh, one of the, one of the independent stations here in New York, um, every night, every weeknight at six o'clock. And that was what we did. We had six o'clock. We watched Star Trek at seven o'clock. We eat dinner. (laughs) That's a good routine. Yeah. I like that routine. I I grew up with Star Trek and there has, there has never been a time in my life when I wasn't watching slash reading slash consuming Star Trek in some form or other. Um, you know, I read I read the James Blish novelizations uh, or adaptations rather when I was a kid. Uh, and then I started reading the, the Trek novels uh, when I was in high school. I read the comic books. Um, I played I played FASA's role playing game back in high school and college. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've always jumped to see each movie as they've come out. Uh, I have, you know, I've watched at least started watching every TV show um I, and since since 1999 uh, there has never been a time when i wasn't either writing for or about star trek you know between the writing i do for tor.com the other nonfiction i the uh, articles i've done for various magazines and anthologies and and essay collections and such and the fiction i've done and and uh you know i'm ba- i well I'm, i i haven't uh done a novel in a while i've been doing short stories for the magazine for the last uh I've the, the, last two issues, uh, of the magazine had stories by me in them. And I've got a story in the next one and then two more coming out, uh, next year. So, um, and I've done work for the role-playing game. I've done, you know, I did the Klingon art of war, the, the, uh, Star Trek has been a constant in, in my life and, and very much so in my career for the last 24 years. <laughs> so, um, let's go back just a little
0: bit. We were talking about politics. And what that got me thinking of, there's a lot of websites, message boards, forums, anything where someone can offer their two cents. And it's on uh, if something is about Star Trek and some kind of political message or satire, you will always see at least one comment in this thing from someone saying, can we keep politics out of it? This politics, that's not my Star Trek. Okay, but. Star Trek is inherently political. It's politics all over. And for some reason, people feel that politics is being inserted into Star Trek in, in some fashion that it's not supposed to be. Like making Pokemon political. I can see that. That's let's not do that. But. You're talking about Star Trek, where it completely applies. Do you ever see comments like that? And what do you want to say to people that somehow forgot?
1: I don't want to actually say anything. I just want to walk away from them. Um, <laughs> it's probably better that, that yeah, you and, did. Yeah. And when did Star Trek get woke? And the answer is 1966.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when it started.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, You know, a part of it is it's. It's not that they don't want politics in Star Trek, it's that they don't want politics that aren't theirs in Star Trek. Um and and it's also an inability to understand how radical Star Trek was in 1966. It's not very radical now. You know, you look at it now, and it's actually very sexist in a lot of ways, and and, and not nearly the, the the commentary is not well while it was incredibly radical for the late 60s, it wouldn't even nobody would bat an eyelash at it now, Mm -hmm. but that's partly because of how television has changed and and how much the world has changed. Um, But Star Trek has always been about commenting about, uh, about current events in some form or other. And it's always been about humanity bettering itself. And, and, and I mean, one of the reasons why I answered your previous question with Star Trek is because it's, a future that I want to believe in. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's what I would love to see. Um, Have you ever
0: sat down and tried to explain to yourself what post-scarcity is and what that means? And you probably probably come to the same conclusion that we all do. Someone has to want to be the plumber. Somebody has to want to be the one that picks up the garbage. That's the problem with the whole concept.
1: Yes, but... I also love the idea of a medical tricorder that will tell you what's wrong with you, so that you know you don't have to worry about being gaslit by doctors who don't, you know, want to help you, or or who don't understand, only have a limited understanding of certain fields of medicine. Um, we can grasp all these
0: things, but when it comes to politics, oh, oh, oh wait a minute.
1: But um, but but in general, what I, what I love about Star Trek is that it's about compassion. It's about getting along. It's about humanity being better. It's about not discriminating against people. It's about... And in particular, the the and, and I, I keep coming back to this, the, what's great about Star Trek is that it it always almost always goes for the compassionate solution rather than the violent one. Um, yes. Whether it's in the Corporate Maneuver when, even though Balak's ship nearly destroyed the Enterprise, Kirk still goes and helps them when they're in distress. In... Deep Space Nine. The Dominion War did not end because of military superiority. It ended because Odo agreed to go back to be a part of the Great Link. Um, in In Discovery, the burn was reversed because they they were able to rescue a 100 year old child. Yeah, and and bring him back home. Um, the and and for that matter, the the fourth the fourth season of Discovery, which was which was probably the most purely Star Trek season that that they'd done in, in 50 plus years, which is because it was literally about seeking out new life and new civilizations and, and, and And, talking.
0: And the science, the math, the exploring, the critical thinking skills.
1: Right. It's it, that, that whole season was about seeking out new life and trying to understand it and come to an understanding so that nobody would get hurt.
0: We did not know that our bulldozer was doing what it was doing. Right. We were just trying to dig up some of this, but yeah. where we see a construction site, the construction zone, we're just, you know, trying to get the stuff, you're all these little life forms smaller than the grains of sand. The grains of sand to us are th- these other stars, and we didn't right. think anyone was living around those. So we've Never. got to stop zzz, scooping up the dirt.
1: And and I love that. That you know, and that, that's always been That's always been the hallmark um, is is, you know, it's through compassion, through thinking, through, you know, finding ways to resolve uh, problems without violence uh, where possible. Um, And that. You know, and and some might see that as political, but also just the notion that. That there is. At least theoretically, no prejudice, that that it you know, I mean, in nineteen sixty six it was incredibly radical. Yeah, you know, here we are in the midst of of civil rights unrest, of wars both cold and hot. Uh and you've got on the bridge of the enterprise a black woman, an Asian man, and a Russian guy working alongside the 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 white people. Yeah. Not the Twenty-year-old alien, and but right. he comments on it. it. It's it's that part in particular. It's not unusual. Nobody. The fact that Sulu is Asian is not nearly as important as the fact that he likes botany and and collects guns. The fact that her is black is not nearly as important as the fact that she likes music. Um, you know, the fact that Cisco is black is less important than the fact that he likes to cook. Um, the fact yeah. that Bashir is Arab doesn't even, you know, come up. Uh, the all of that, you know, is um, that, that and that that's that's a very important thing is that it's all these different people working together. Um, one of the things that uh, both my wife and my mother have commented about Discovery is that they love the fact that you see different women of different physical types of different skin tones of different interests, and none of them are sexualized. Right. Well, but, that, we're not in 90s Trek. Star Trek has not always been great about that, although it's interesting. I didn't realize it until I sat down and was re-watching them for Tor.com. For three straight shows, we had a character who was cast mainly because she was an attractive woman. Yes. And in two of those three cases were put in costumes that emphasized their physical attributes. Yes. Uh, and yet, all three of them, Jadzia Dax, Seven of Nine, and T'Pol, all were able to rise above that, mainly through partly through the writing partly through the performances of of the three actors in question to become phenomenal characters uh some of the most in-depth characters despite the endless mail gazing of them yeah. you know um and and now on on the new shows you're 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 not getting the mail gazing part you're just getting the cool part including seven of nine herself being in Picard um and also uh but you know wearing more sensible outfits more appropriate and, clothing yeah <laughs> and uh and you've got you know you've got uh burnham and 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 um tilly and and all and um, uh reno and detmer. all the and detmer and and Oshikin, all the all yeah. these different and it's 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 great and and you're also seeing you know different races different orientations uh, we're especially finally seeing non heteronormative relationships in star trek which which was way overdue um mm-hmm. just the fact that Everybody is working together. Everybody accepts everybody else's differences um, and embraces it. Um, there was a great line in Stranger Worlds and in, in um, uh, at Astro Prospera, the one where number one was was on trial um, was being court-martialed, where she said that, that she saw the first Starfleet ship she saw when she was like five or six and all these different people from all these different planets working together. And it was beautiful. That's that's Star Trek. That's. It's it's every it's people working together. The, the idea of the Federation is ridiculous and it's awesome at the same time because you've got 150 people who, who from different planets working together. Um, that was something I emphasized in in articles of the Federation. Which was, I can't even manage a group project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and
1: you're all the same species. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. You know how hard that is. <laughs> but and and. Um, and, and I I wanted to emphasize that in the novel um, that, you know, you've got people from different worlds all sitting in the same room running, running a, a government and it works. Um, and, you know, we got to see it, you know, in 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 that novel. We saw it in Discovery. Also, I love the fact that they made the Federation president a recurring character. That made me very happy. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 cooperation there Um that we saw in season four um you know and even even things like you know having watching the progress watching the klingons go from being the federation's enemies to out their staunchest allies yes um, you know that was that was something that that when he created next generation gene roddenberry specifically wanted that prediction that was made an errand of mercy back in the first season when we first met the klingons when when Elborn said you know in the future you and the klingons will be fast friends he wanted to see that come true and then again on discovery when we see in the 32nd century that spock's dream of reunification between the vulcans and the romulans also came true um you know all that is is it
0: took almost 800 years or no no hundreds thousands yeah
1: progress progress is 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 progress is a process Um, and that You know, that that hopefulness is is what makes Star Trek so wonderful. Um, And if people see it as political, that says more about them than it does about what Star Trek is doing. You know, if 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 let that be your last battlefield isn't political, but somehow having a gay couple on the Discovery is, then you're doing then your, your definition of political is a little off. It is. You're right, because those are and I think
0: you hit the nail on the head is that. It's if it's not my viewpoint, if it's not my politics, then I shouldn't have to see it or hear it or read it at all. And I think that's a good point there. Wait, Keith, I want to say thank you very, very much for taking the time out to sit with me tonight and do this talk. I've I've learned a lot of things from you about the writing process, what motivates you. Frame of mind you can be in when writing and how that can affect whether it's positive or negative what you're uh, what you're working on. Do you have anything in regards to projects you have coming up uh, social medias that you want to talk about and promote
1: to uh, get some get some people looking more at your work? Um, you can. I'm easy to find online. If you just search for my name, uh, I'm the only Keith de Candido that will turn up. Um, I do have a website. It's horrible, but it does serve as a link dump to all the various places you can cyberstalk me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I post regularly on both Facebook and Instagram and whatever it is Twitter is now. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much longer Twitter is going to last. Uh, uh, how long I'm going to stay there? But I'm, I'm staying there for the time being, at least um i haven't figured out which of the new twitter substitutes i'm going to use if any uh, i'm going to see how they shake out before mm. start joining them um but uh, but i am on like i said i'm on facebook uh you can just search me on there all my posts are public on facebook so um and i have both a fan page and a personal page you can follow either one of those um and they both have the same content uh i'm on twitter at craddock i'm on instagram at crad 418 uh i have a blog because i'm old um <laughs> Again, if you search for it, it's on, if you go to decandito.net, there's a link to the blog, it's on WordPress, uh, decandito.wordpress.com. Uh, I mentioned the YouTube channel before. Um, that's uh, a month, that, now it is a monthly uh, uh, channel uh, where each month I read a new one of my short stories. And then um, I also have a Patreon, uh, which which you know helps helps keep, uh, keep some of the bills uh, paid. Uh, I do regular TV reviews, movie reviews, uh, excerpts from my works in progress, Vignettes featuring my original characters, uh, first looks at my first drafts, and also cat pictures. Um, <laughs> Love the cat pictures. Cat pictures is 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 one of the most popular tiers on, on there. Not a surprise. <laughs> um, and uh, as, as for works coming out, uh, I have two anthologies that came out recently that I have stories in, uh, one of which I also co-edited. Uh, one is called Double Trouble, an anthology of two-fisted team-ups, which is... Uh, a collection of stories of team-ups of classic characters. Uh, Captain Nemo meets Frankenstein's monster, uh, Prospero meets Don Quixote, uh, stuff like that. And uh, I've got a story in there that teams up um, Aisha, uh, the title character from H. Rider Haggard's novel, She, uh, along, uh, who teams up with Igongan Oya, who is a goddess in the Yoruba pantheon. Um, so it's basically two immortal kick-ass uh, African women. Yes, awesome. In, in in 2017 Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> That's a twist. Uh, and I've also got a Sherlock Holmes story, uh, an anthology called Cases by Candlelight, Volume 2, which has uh, four new Sherlock Holmes stories by myself, Christopher D. Abbott, Aaron Rosenberg, and Michael Jan Friedman. Uh, and my story is called The Thick Blue Line, uh, and I had a lot of fun with that. I, I hadn't written the canonical Sherlock Holmes before. Uh, my Resident Evil comic book is still being uh, published. It's a five issue miniseries. The first three issues are out from Tokyo Pop. It's called Infinite Darkness: The Beginning. It is a prequel to the Infinite Darkness uh, animated series that's on Netflix. Um, it features the fan favorite character of Leon um, having yeah. stopping an attack in Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, my new, the latest precinct novel is Phoenix Precinct. That's currently available. Um, uh, I did a I co-wrote a Star Trek Adventures module called uh, Incident at Krav 3 uh, with Fred Love, which is available from Odyphius. Uh I have a story in the eighth issue of Star Trek Explorer called The Calydian Kidnapping. It's a Star Trek Voyager story. And there's um, some other stuff, too. I've got some anthologies coming out soon uh, that I have stories in, including uh, Weird Tales, 100 Years of Weird, which is uh, celebrating the 100th anniversary of Weird Tales magazine. Uh, And I've got an original story in that. Um, And uh, there's a Joe Ledger anthology that Jonathan Mayberry and Brian Thomas Schmidt put together, which is based on Jonathan's uh, uh, Joe Ledger series of of, uh, of fantastical thrillers. And uh, I wrote a story for that, um, Joe Ledger Unbreakable, it's called. Uh, It's a weird Western anthology called The Good, the Bad and the Uncanny that I have a story in, Mm -hmm. Um, and some other stuff as well. I write for Tor.com. I'm doing a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch uh, I'm in the fourth season now, and uh, each time there's a new episode of uh, Star Trek show on Paramount Plus, I will be reviewing it for Tor.com. Uh, as we record this, it's Lower Decks that I'm working on because we're in the fourth season of that. Uh, but and I've got reviews of every episode of Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, and Lower Decks, uh, as well as some, some uh, overview pieces on Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, and, and and you know when with each each new season that comes each new episode that comes out I will I will be talking about it on there uh, and I also write the great superhero movie rewatch for Twitter.com, which was a weekly feature from 2017 to 2020 and which I revive every six to 12 months uh, to cover new new superhero new live action movies based on superhero comics I've I've covered every single one of them to date well uh, I've, every single one of them up to the end of 2022 wow <laughs> wow uh, it will cover the 2023 ones at the end of this year that is excellent that is awesome so that, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of you take with and <gasps> so you know, too, if you find me online I'll tell you all that
0: yes find Keith DeCandido De Candido. God dang it see oh. I, I had it I knew it it just yeah it, I need one mulligan but yeah. thank you so there shouldn't be a, a difficult time finding you online which is great good luck to you and this just all of these things that you work on and that you've got going and it was great it was a pleasure being able to talk to you and it was great for our audience to hear some more about you and you know that's that's all i got so thanks again we are Beyond Trek podcast
1: lower your inhibitions and surrender your years we will add inspirational and hilarious trip content to your day your attention will adapt to subscribe
0: to us resistance is futile if you enjoyed this podcast you can support us at patreon.com beyond Trek